Is the rapture biblical? Some people say that it's not. Others talk about the rapture through the Left Behind series and things of that nature. Which is right? Find out on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton. We uh, want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and hope you'll go to the, make your way to the website. And while you're there, subscribe. And by doing so, you'll receive all the articles in your inbox for free as, long, as well as uh, links to these podcasts. We're also available on several different apps so that you can take this podcast with you on the go. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Play. And being on iTunes, you can find us on uh, several different uh, Android devices uh, through the app called Podcast Addict. Uh, so uh, be sure to look up uh, the Bellator Christie Podcast, uh, B-E-L-L-A-T-O-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-I. And uh, like we said, you can take us with you on the go. And be sure to let other people know about this podcast and we would greatly appreciate your support in that regard um disregard uh, the clock it uh, just went off just a few moments ago we thought we were free and it's going off again now so i guess it has a mind of its own on today's podcast we're going to talk about the rapture and uh, describe what the rapture is. There are a lot of people who have uh, taken different positions as it pertains to the rapture. Uh, some people talk, uh, speak as if uh, they, they see these Left Behind series written by Tim LaHaye, and uh, some people are, for some reason, it's left a bad taste in some people's mouths uh, as, as far as that go. Um, so we want. So there are some who hold to the rapture, uh, the event, and there are others who disregard it as being, many people say, unbiblical. But is that the case? Uh, can we truly say that this is an unbiblical thing when so many Christians have held to it? Now, just because a lot of Christians have held to it doesn't mean anything. I mean, a lot of Christians have held to, unfortunately, in this day and time, modern heresies. Um, and so, while we don't have time to really, on this podcast, go through and dissect the history um, of this rapture theology, uh, you know, obviously many people think that it starts with John Darby, but I think a good case can be made that it uh, that it actually preceded John Darby, and there were inclinations of people who had uh, segments of individuals who held uh, a similar belief in a rapture-like event that's taking place. 
And, uh, and so I think that this can even go to some of the early church fathers. Uh, Papias may have even held to some type of a form of this belief. I know, knew he, I know that uh, definitely he was a uh, premillennialist and who believed in the literal uh, coming of Christ and a literal kingdom on earth for a thousand-year reign. In fact, he was criticized by Eusebius uh, as being what Eusebius thought somewhat of a simpleton for for believing that. Uh, <clears throat> so that's just to say that I don't think that this is necessarily as new a movement as some people incline it to be. Obviously, uh, dispensationalism began with John Darby and uh, became popularized by he and the C.I. Uh, 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 Schofield, I think is how you say his name, I may have gotten that right. But anyhow, Schofield and Schofield Study Bible. But, but the big question is, is the rapture biblical? That's the big question people are asking. And when we talk about the rapture, it's first important to define what we mean by rapture. Now, some people, so what is rapture? Rapture comes from the Latin word, I think it's raptus if I'm not mistaken. Or, uh, anyhow, the Latin word which means to be caught up. And that itself uh, comes from the Greek term parousia, describing an event we find in 1 Thessalonians. And so if you can't have your copy of God's Word there, you can turn with us to 1 Thessalonians. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And so 1 Thessalonians, uh, this is chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> verse 13, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you do not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The term sleep is a metaphor for death. It doesn't mean that the soul doesn't survive after death, because it does. Uh, we see several evidence uh, evidences in Scripture that there is a soul survival that happens after death. Okay, So we believe that Jesus died and rose again. In the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with the, Him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord, we who are alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, who are alive and remain, as some translations say, will be caught up together. That word caught up, parousia, in Latin meaning rapture, caught up together uh, with, with them in the clouds, Notice that's plural, not only just the Lord in the clouds, but those who've been risen from the dead, caught up to meet them in the clouds, uh, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall, so shall we always be with the Lord, therefore encourage one another with these words. Okay, so the idea, some, so the idea of rapture, where, where this becomes problematic in some people's minds, is that uh, it seems to separate the resurrections of the righteous and the resurrection of the condemned. And I think that we... And, and so, if you believe in the general resurrection happening at Christ's coming, then you would see the rapture as being an unbiblical event. I, some people have, have discarded this view of the rapture as being a secret rapture. Well, I don't think that it's a secret of it all. 
if if you hold to the rapture, I don't think that it's necessarily secretive at all. I think the Lord is going to come. The dead in Christ are going to rise. Then those who are alive and remain will be called up to meet Him instantly resurrected at that at that time and point. So we see this in First Thessalonians, this idea that uh, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So does this hold any ground as far as the teachings of Jesus? Um, and I think it does. Uh, we, we see at the Olivet Discourse, this is a uh, message that Jesus gave his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he says that uh, he, he basically in verse 15 through 22 discusses the abomination of desolation and this uh, great tribulation that's coming upon the nation of Israel, this great tribulation that's coming. And so uh, he says, If anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah over here, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets, verse 24, arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance. So they say, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storerooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So it'll be an instantaneous thing. Okay, This idea of the coming of the Son of Man, return of the Son of Man, is going to be an instantaneous thing. It's going to happen very fast, very quickly. <clears throat> First Thessalonians, you see that same that same mindset that it's going to happen very fast, very quickly. The Lord is going to raise that those who, who who have already in the who, who have already passed. <clears throat> they'll be the first to raise from the dead, and then those who are alive and remain will be called up to meet Him in the air. Um, wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. Okay. Uh, so talking about the judgment there happening afterwards, and so anyhow. Talking about the coming of the Son of Man, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming from the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Maybe even referencing Daniel uh, where he talks about looking upon the one whom they pierced. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, meaning from all of creation, from one end of the sky to the other. Okay? Now, he talks about the, the fig tree, learning the signs that the day is near. In verses 32 through 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And it is a certainty that this is going to happen. That's what he's saying. Now, verse 36, concerning the time when this happens... Concerning the day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. Only the Father knows when Christ is, is, is scheduled to return. Okay, as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. That means that, it, that, that the sooner it gets to the day of Christ's return, the more wicked the culture will become. Okay, so understand that while uh, those who hold to dispensationalism, do believe in a great tribulation. The great tribulation itself is going to be a tribulation, really, of the earth. Okay, The church is going to face great tribulation. Now, there will be a remnant who will be saved during that time. Okay, But there will be uh, a great tribulation on, upon the church before this happens because we see this in the text that the closer that day comes... To the arrival of the Son of Man, the more wicked the culture is going to be. And so we can anticipate there to be persecutions increasing 
the sooner we get to the Lord's appearing. Okay, so for in those days he talks about before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. In other words, you see, God rescued. There's this allusion to the end times being like Noah's ark. Noah and his and, and the remnant were spared from the judgment of God coming upon the earth. So he likens, Jesus likens the judgment that's coming in the end, because remember the covenant that God gave Noah. He would never again, by putting the rainbow in the sky, he would never again, he would never again condemn the world to, for, to a global flood. He would never condemn the world to face a flood that would wipe out humanity, no matter how you view the flood. I'm just saying, when I say global flood, I'm talking about the flood that wipes out humanity. He would never judge the world again by water, by floods, then that matter. His judgment again, the, the judgment that was coming would be a judgment by fire. Fire is a symbol of God's presence, so that the judgment that's coming is going to be a personal judgment that God brings upon the earth... And maybe it's literal in the fact of it being fire. I don't know. But the point is, is that uh, judgment is again coming. And so Jesus likens this day to the, the boarding of Noah's ark where there was this remnant who were saved, spared from the judgment of God that was coming upon the earth. So shall this resurrection, and even if you don't like the term rapture, so shall this resurrection of the church be. It's like boarding Noah's ark. God is going to raise us from the dead before God's judgment is enacted on the earth. Because that judgment is not directed towards God's children. That judgment is directed toward the wickedness, the political powers and forces of the day that would seek to do God and His people harm. Okay? So... They didn't know until the flood came and it swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. See that connection. In fact, I didn't really even notice that connection until preparing for this. But there's this connection to the resurrection at the end time, the coming of the return of the Son of Man with, this, um, with Noah's ark. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain at a hand mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be alert, since you do not know what day the coming of the Lord, uh, the, the, the day, what day your Lord is coming. But know this: if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken in two. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. And in verses forty-five through. 51, he talks about faithful servants, uh, faithful service to Christ. Chapter 25, he gives the parable of the ten virgins, warning us to be ready. The parable of the talents, meaning to use our gifts that God has given us uh, for His glory. And then he talks about the sheep and the goats, the dividing of the sheep and the goats in the Olivet Discourse. And then uh, and that concludes the message. From the Olivet Discourse and from 1 Thessalonians, I think it's just evidently clear in Revelation, we also see this distinction, this dividing, this division between the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the condemned. Um, all of this part of the end events that are taking place that God enacts at the end of time. So again, you may not agree with the dispensational thought. You may not even agree with this rapture idea, not a secret rapture, but this, this split resurrection that's taking between the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the condemned. Um, you may not hold to that. And I do think there's going to be actually a resurrection that happens at the end of this global tribulation for those who are saved. 
uh, at this time that they'll be part of, that they'll be gathered together with the church body at that point in time. But anyhow, two general resurrections we see in Scripture. I think from reading the, uh, the passages we find in uh, the Olivet Discourse, I think it's evidently clear that there is a rapture-like event uh, on the horizon. And so I don't think it's unbiblical. In fact, I think it's very biblical. I think it's a very biblical concept. But again, you may not hold to this. You may not agree to this concept. That's fine. But let's not go on these tangents saying, well, you're unbiblical for holding this, when in fact there are some biblical evidences, I would say, that such an event could happen. And in fact, I know that the Lord is going to come and that we will be called up to meet Him in the air. So if you hold the rapture to be this event where we are all called up to meet the Lord in the air, this parousia, if you like the Greek term better, it's going to happen. It's a very biblical concept. Christ is going to return and He's going to take us home. And folks, I don't know about you, but that gives me great encouragement to know that such an event is on the horizon. Well, folks, we thank you for joining us on today's podcast. We kept it short and sweet. Got a lot of stuff going on. Hope you're doing well wherever you may be. And so be sure to tell folks about the Bellator Christie Ministries. You can find us at bellatorchristie.com. And again, you can find us on several different apps. Be sure to take us with you on the go. God bless you, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, 
it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to True North, the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today. We're standing on the ground that for three years we have prayed that will one day be the site of the greatest Christian school in the world. We prayed that way. We believe God gave us this mountain for that purpose. I've said to these young people repeatedly and I say it again to you today. You are the hope of America. When you leave the graduation platform of liberty, I want you to leave it running. Leave it running with a vision burning in your soul. You're going to change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision. Make it plain. We're training champions to change the world. Those words, spoken by Dr. Jerry Falwell, cast a vision that brought us to this mountain. Those who were around during the early years remember attending convocation in a 3,000-seat tent because no building on campus could hold all the students. Then there was the winter of 1977 when the building they'd been using for classes was scheduled for demolition. Their response was to stand in the snow for two hours, praying, Welcome to Liberty where we train champions for Christ. Welcome to a world of audacious dreams, a world where strong character is built with grit and grace, a world where men and women go out bravely to fix what's broken. What one man dreamed, his son built. Ten years ago, President Falwell picked up the mantle his father laid down, and the university has been flourishing in ways thousands of faithful dreamers had seen only in their prayers. Our tradition of unwavering faith is their legacy, because you are what they prayed for. Graduates, you will face seemingly insurmountable hardships and obstacles often throughout your career. At times, everything will seem hopeless and every fiber of your being will be screaming for you to quit and give up on your dreams. But persevering in those darkest hours is what separates the winners from the losers. Only if you press on will you achieve greatness. In less than 50 years, 154 students have become 110,000. Missed paydays have become a billion dollar campus, and what began as a preposterous dream has become the largest Christian university in the world. With elite Carnegie status, an FBS football, oh, we're coming, and we're coming to win. But we're not leaving our convictions behind. We still have the privilege, the right, 
and the responsibility to show the world what Jesus looks like. We still believe that hard work, courage, and integrity define our faith as much as compassion and kindness. We are bold. We are innovative. We are faithful and diligent. We celebrate both our diversity and our unity as one family. At Liberty, the privilege to mentor the next generation of Christian leaders is not something we take lightly because virtues necessary for a praiseworthy life are not built overnight. They require scholars with determination, creativity, and a passion for wisdom. Our faculty have done great things, helped invent hearing devices for the deaf, done groundbreaking research on technology addiction, influenced the way crime labs use DNA analysis. They have written film scores, won Emmys, and made headlines in archaeology, philosophy, and paleontology. But their greatest legacy will be you. We defy the stereotypes that others try to impose on us. Your classmates are directing their own films, interning at NASA, and taking on poverty across the globe. While the world sees champions as only victors, we will reclaim the word and its meaning. We, the champions, in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith, ignite a passion for wisdom, challenge perspectives, inspire creativity, and pursue knowledge. Do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless. Bring healing to the hurting. Fight for the oppressed. Defend freedom. Defy stereotypes. And follow God's calling wherever it may lead. It is who we are. It's what we stand for. It always has been and always will be. To learn more about Liberty University, go to liberty.edu.